Now, some time ago, um, a few ladies in our congregation went out on a on a ladies' night out or ladies' day out, I think it was, and my wife Cynthia went along. So um, I asked her, "What do you all do?" And she said, "Oh, we went to watch a movie called Eat, Pray, Love." So I said, "Oh, okay. What's this movie about?" And basically, it's about this woman who was uh, played by Julia Roberts. Okay, so she had. She had everything you know a woman could want. She had a good family, a good marriage. She had a good job, successful career. She had a house, but she wasn't happy. And so she actually uh, got divorced from her husband and left her job and her house and went off to around the world traveling to find herself, find what she wanted in life. And uh, I think at the end, of, I hope I don't spoil the story for you, but she uh, ended up, uh, you know, uh, I think. Uh, with finding Eastern spirituality and uh, also getting a boyfriend in Bali, something like that, right? And you think to yourself, and I thought to myself and I heard that, oh man, this woman sounds a bit selfish, right? I mean, it's like all of, everything's about herself. You know, she just cares about herself. But if you think about it, you know, she's just living out the mission in life that our generation says is the right thing to do. You see, People of, if you ask people my age or, or younger, you know, what is the purpose of life? You know, what will people say? Well, they say, well, I'm here to fulfill my dreams. I'm here to find myself, to achieve my fullest potential. And that's exactly what this, this lady in the movie is doing. It's a very me-centered and a very self-focused approach to life. Now, we should ask ourselves, what is the Christian approach to life? What is our mission in life? And in today's passage in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 onwards, Paul tells us about his mission in life, and he tells us how we should also live our lives as Christians. So I want you to now open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verse 5, and we'll be looking at it now, and we'll be asking ourselves the question, how should we live our life, and what should we live it for? Okay, the first thing is, we'll look at some particulars about Paul's mission. What is his mission really about? And here in this passage, we find out who gave Paul his mission and who the mission was for. So if you turn with me to uh, verse 24 to verse 25 of chapter 1, which will also be on the, on the slides. Okay, verse 24. Let me read it to you. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So who gave Paul the mission? Well, it was God. It came from God. It says God gave him the commission to become the apostle to the Gentiles. And to preach the gospel to people everywhere in the Roman Empire of that time. And then who is the target of the mission? Who is it directed towards? Well, verse 24 says it's for the sake of Christ's body, the church. That it is not just for the Colossian church, the Philippian church, but it is for the church of God worldwide, the unseen, universal church of God. See, Paul's responsibility embraces people everywhere, all Christians everywhere, even people that he has never met before. See, people, actually Paul has never met the Colossians before, and yet he can say 
God commissioned me to preach the word of God to you. See, he pours out his life for the sake of people that he does not know. And in verse 25, Paul says that he's a servant of the church. He's not there to lord it over them. He's not there to boss them around. He's there to serve them. Now, if you look in your Bibles, this is a passage that we did last week. If you look at just the verse before, in verse 23, Paul says that he's a servant of the gospel. So he's a servant of the gospel and he's a servant of the church. He's a servant of the message and he's a servant of the audience. See, in other words, his job is to proclaim faithfully this message so that it will benefit the church. In fact, according to verse 24, Paul says that his service fills up in the flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now that's a bit hard for us to understand because it seems like Paul is saying Christ's sufferings are not enough and somehow I need to supplement them uh, and uh, suffer myself so that people can be saved. But that's exactly what he's not saying. He's not saying that. See, what he's saying is that as a servant of Jesus Christ, I know that Jesus' servants must go through a certain amount of hardships and sufferings when we bring the gospel to the world. But these sufferings that Jesus' servants go through, they are part of Jesus' own sufferings too. Because Jesus is really very closely identified with his people. In fact, he says there that the church is Christ's own body. And so, the, the sufferings of the body of Christ are also the sufferings of Christ. See, when Jesus' servants undergo suffering for the sake of the gospel, they are actually sharing in Christ's sufferings. So, for example, if you know uh, the, what happened to Paul before he became a Christian in Acts, in Acts chapter 9, Paul was going around persecuting Christians and throwing them in jail, and he went to Damascus, and on the way to Damascus, he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ asked him, Saul, that time his name was Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? See, Jesus didn't ask him, why do you persecute my church or my people? But why do you persecute me? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The sufferings of the church are just as much the sufferings of Jesus himself. And not only that, the sufferings of the servants of the gospel are the sufferings of Christ. And so when Paul says here, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, He's not saying that I need to suffer and die so that your sins can be forgiven. No, we know from last week's sermon that Jesus' death, Jesus' sufferings and death can save us and take away our sins and they are fully sufficient for that. But what Paul is saying is that I share in the sufferings of Christ's servants that need to happen and I play my part to fill them up to the amount that God has appointed and these sufferings are really part of Christ's sufferings. So two things here. Paul has a mission from God, number one. And number two, Paul's mission is to serve the church of God. Now what does that mean for us? See, do we have a mission from God? And here we will think to ourselves, well, you know, how can I compare myself to Paul? You know, he's, he's so great, he's an apostle, but I'm just a very, very ordinary Christian, right? 
Well, it's true that God hasn't called us to be apostles, but really we share in the same mission. See, God calls all of us to make disciples of the nations. And the gospel that we have received, we must also pass on to others. So God may not have called you to preach as much as Paul, or to suffer as much as Paul, or to have as much responsibility as Paul did. And God may not have called you to be a full-time preacher, or a pastor, or an evangelist. But God has called you to bring the gospel wherever you are, to the people who are around you. To gossip the gospel as much as you can. To make the most of, of, of um, opportunities that God has given you to talk about the gospel with your colleagues, with your friends, with your neighbors, your family members. So does your life revolve around proclaiming the good news of Jesus? Is it focused on seeking God's kingdom and, seeking, and making disciples and teaching them to obey Christ? See, does your life look beyond yourself and your immediate concerns? You know, or is it just like that woman I talked about in that movie? You know, just revolve around yourself, maybe your career, your wealth, your ambition, your family, your interests, your hobbies? What are you living for? See, whether you're a teacher, or an engineer, an accountant, a homemaker, our primary responsibility is to live for Christ, to draw attention to Christ wherever God has placed us, in how we live, in how we work, and in talking about Christ whenever we have the opportunity, and also to build up fellow believers in Christ. And the second point of application here is that Paul's mission was to serve the church. Now, do we also have a servant heart like Paul? Now, he poured out his life, he endured hardship and opposition, he sacrificed everything in order to bring the gospel to the people, to the Colossians and to other churches, people that he had never met before. And he also gave his life to build up people in Christ. So what about us? You know, there are church leaders who use their positions of authority not to serve others, but to serve themselves. You know, sometimes people take on leadership positions to gain respect or get praise from people. And in some places, they do it to maybe have an easy life. In some places, being a pastor is an easy life, okay? With a secure income. And in some places, pastors enjoy ruling over people, enjoy telling people what to do, imposing their authority on other people. They get a kick out of that. And sometimes they even climb over people and use them for their own advantage. Now, we may not be so extreme. I trust that none of us are like that. But still, we need to ask ourselves, do I have a servant heart, a servant mentality? So maybe you are a, a Bible study leader or somebody who leads the service on Sundays or you know, maybe you're an elder or a deacon or a you know, youth leader, whatever it might be, do you serve joyfully or do you do it grudgingly? You know, perhaps all of us have been tempted to say or to think, you know, why can't you get somebody else to do it? You know, why you put me on the roster so often? I'm just too busy. 
See, Paul rejoiced to serve. He rejoiced in suffering great hardship for other Christians. So, do we complain about the small inconveniences when we serve others? May God help us to take seriously this ministry that He has given us to proclaim the gospel of God and to serve the people of God. Now the next thing that we find out about Paul's mission in today's passage is the content of his message. Okay, what exactly is it that Paul proclaims? Well, he says in verse 25, he says that his job is to present the Word of God. What is this Word of God? Well, we can find out in verse 26 and 27, because he expands on it there. So, verse 26, It is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says that the word of God, or the gospel message that he proclaims, is a mystery. Now, when I was a, a young boy in school, I used to like reading mystery stories. Okay? Uh, I don't know whether pe- kids nowadays still read these books, but I used to like reading Nancy Drew and uh, Famous Five. What do you call it? Famous Five, yeah. Or and then there were the the Five Find Outers and the Three Investigators. Okay, those kind of books. Are, I think only the older ones may know what it is, lah. Okay. So anyway, these were basically books about teenagers going out there to solve a, a mystery, like a little detective story, right? A mystery is a secret that you can only crack if you have the brains and if you have the skill. But in the Bible, that's not a mystery. See, the Bible, that's not the definition of a mystery. See, the, a mystery in the Bible is something that you can never crack by your own intelligence and you can never figure out, no matter how smart you are, But a mystery in the Bible is something that only God can show you. God can reveal to you. If if God had not revealed it, nobody would have found out. That is what a mystery is. And so it says that for ages and generations in the past, during the Old Testament times, nobody knew exactly how God would finally deal with sin and bring salvation to the world. Nobody knew. It was hidden from the people who lived in the past. But now, it has been revealed to us who are God's people, who are God's saints. And he says that we now know that God's plan to save the world is Jesus Christ. Only when Jesus came was this mystery from ages past revealed to us. So we know it, not because of how clever we are, but because God has given us Christ and revealed to us who He actually is. Now this mystery is a very deep and a rich and a glorious mystery. You see, Paul says it is the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now throughout this book of Colossians, we've been told again and again that we are saved because we are in Christ. In Christ. So let me run through a few verses with you from chapter 1 to remind you. Okay, but Chapter 1 verse 14. In whom, that is in Christ, We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And verse 22 says, But now He has reconciled you by or in Christ's physical body through death to present you holy 
in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And in chapter 2 verse 10 he says, And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. Because we are in Christ, that's why we can be saved. And because we are in Christ, Paul says, Christ is also in us. Now if you throw a cup into the ocean, the cup is in the ocean. And also the ocean is in the cup. And that's a bit like what our relationship is to Christ. You see, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. See, the mystery of the gospel is that God has come to us to live in us, in Christ. He comes and lives in us human beings. That is a truly amazing fact that God should be in human beings. And because Christ is in us, it says we have a hope of glory. Now in chapter 1, in chapter 1 verse 5, if you turn to your Bibles, it says that we have a hope laid up for us in heaven. We know that we will share Christ's heavenly glory forever and ever. And the reason for that is because Christ is in us. He is our hope of glory. God's mystery is summed up in one word. Christ. He is the content of God's word to us. He is what the gospel is all about. Christ is to be therefore the center of our lives and the center of our existence, the reason for our hope and the message that we are to proclaim. So everything that we say and everything that we do towards one another must be about Christ and must have the aim of helping one another to know Christ and to understand Him better. Now remember the preacher Don Carson saying that churches don't lose the gospel all at once. It doesn't happen overnight. See, it happens very gradually. It starts by churches losing uh, their focus on the gospel and thinking that you know maybe there are other things that we need to worry about, we need to be concerned about. So he gives this example that how the gospel can be lost over four generations. Okay? In the first generation, the gospel is proclaimed faithfully and people understand, they accept, they believe and they teach Jesus Christ, the gospel. Then the next generation, the second generation, the gospel is assumed. That is, people still believe and know the gospel, but they think that there's more to Christianity than that. So the gospel is just the first step for us. Now we have to move on to more advanced knowledge. Let's move on to deeper things like, uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll stop teaching and focusing on the gospel. Every week we don't talk about the same thing over and over, Jesus dying for us and so on. So let's t- talk about how to help the poor. Let's talk about how to embrace different peoples and races and religions. Let's talk about how to have superior spiritual experiences. Let's talk about how to be healed of all our physical sicknesses and how to be healed of all our psychological scars. Or let's talk about how to get rich by giving money to the church. Now in the next generation, the third generation, the gospel is confused. That is, if you ask people in the church, what is the gospel? They'll say, well, it's social justice, right? Or it's uh, spiritual experiences. Or it's healing or prosperity. And in the fourth generation, the gospel is lost. There is no more gospel. 
So let us ask ourselves, is the gospel of Jesus Christ at the heart of everything that we do at BTPC? And if it is now, how can we ensure that it continues to be at the heart of everything that we do at BTPC in the next few generations to come? See, we must keep asking ourselves this question. Are we still proclaiming the gospel? Are we, do we read and open our Bibles in church? I've been to many churches where the Bible is hardly ever opened. And do we hear the gospel in our sermons, in our songs, in our prayers, in our Bible studies? And is the way that the leaders run this church, is, is that based on gospel principles? Do we require a commitment to the gospel before we accept people into membership here? Or can, and can every individual member in this church speak the gospel, explain the gospel? Is every individual member living out the gospel? That's what we need to ask. The gospel assumed is the gospel denied. That's what one writer has said. So may God help us never to assume the gospel but to keep proclaiming this mystery of Christ to one another and to build one another up. And the next thing that we see about Paul's mission is what is its purpose or goal? So in verse 28, Paul explains the objective of his mission. He says, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Paul didn't say, we proclaim him so that people can choose you know, to listen or not, that's their problem. Paul didn't say, we proclaim him as, as long as I've said it once, I'm not going to say it again, it's up to them to decide whether they want to accept it or take it or to leave it. But Paul says, we proclaim him so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, when I was in university, I wanted a holiday job, so I actually uh, took up some relief teaching uh, in Brunei in a secondary school. I was a uh, a math teacher of secondary one and two for two months, and that was while well, I still remember all my math. Now I've forgotten all. I already given back to my teacher. Okay, but uh, at that time I taught maths for two months, and uh, I realized something. You know, you teach them algebra, or whatever. Okay, I mean, I think in Brunei they do algebra in secondary, but here probably they do in primary one. I don't know lah. But uh, <laughs> okay. But anyway, the thing is that uh, you teach them something like that, right? And you say it all, and you explain it all, then you find out that actually, a lot of them don't understand, or they, you know, they don't know. So what is a good teacher's job? Now, a good teacher's job is not just, oh, I've already explained, I've gone through the syllabus, I've done my part for this week, and that's it. I move on to the next topic. A good teacher's job is to make sure that they actually understand, and make sure that they actually can do the exam and get the A or whatever, right? So the aim of proclaiming the gospel to one another and to other people, it's not just to put the message out there, but to see lives changed, to see people firmly established in the gospel, perfected in Christ. The work of the gospel is not done until we can see the gospel taking root and impacting people's lives for their eternal good. So in the Great Commission, Jesus did not say, go and make converts. What did Jesus say? Go and make disciples. And Jesus did not say, teach them everything that I have commanded you. But Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, Paul's objective is that each 
believer can stand before Christ perfect and firmly established. Now, what does it mean to be perfect? Well, it means something like being a complete and fully grown and mature Christian. So, in chapter 2, we also find out what Paul thinks a perfect believer should be like. So, from chapter 2, verse 2, let me read to you. Paul says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So being perfect in Christ means being united in love with all those who belong to Christ. And being perfect in Christ means having the full riches of complete understanding of Christ. And being perfect in Christ means not being deceived by fine-sounding arguments which take away our focus on Christ. And being perfect in Christ means having good order in the church and having firm faith in Christ. That's what being perfect means. Perfect love and unity. Perfect knowledge and alertness over false teaching. Perfect order and faith. Those are the goals that we should be striving for. For ourselves and for everyone in the church. And how does Paul achieve these goals? Well, his strategy is in verse 28. He says, We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So Paul's approach is really very simple here. He doesn't resort to being entertaining or telling lots of jokes to get attention. He doesn't try to whip up a lot of emotion to uh, manipulate people with emotional appeals and music and endless altar calls. He doesn't try to draw people by not talking about sin and judgment, but only talking about what people really want to hear, that is, uh, you, you become healthy and wealthy and successful. See, all around Singapore, there are churches that proclaim that kind of message. But Paul doesn't do that. He says, I proclaim Christ. He tells them Christ is the fullness of God. Christ is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Christ is the only way for us to be reconciled to God. And Christ was crucified in our place. Christ was given for us so that we can be redeemed and have forgiveness of sins. And he proclaims Christ resurrected so that we too may be raised with him to new life and to heavenly glory. That is what Paul proclaims. And he does it by teaching and admonishing. See, there are two parts to it. The first is admonishing, he says. That is, he points out their false beliefs. He tells them, he warns them about their sinful lifestyles. He's not afraid to confront, to rebuke people about their wrong doctrine and their wrong conduct. And secondly, Paul teaches after telling them what is wrong with how they think and how they live, Paul then gives them the right teaching of how to think and how to live. He teaches them in all wisdom so that they will have the full riches of complete understanding. Paul's goal 
is to present everyone perfect in Christ and his strategy is to admonish and teach in all wisdom. And what does that mean for us? Now, some of you have leadership roles in this church. Like I said earlier, you may be responsible for a Bible study or a Sunday school class or a youth group or maybe a meeting up with a brother or sister. Do you realize that your job is to present them perfect in Christ? You know, we have great responsibility as leaders and that's a very scary thought for me and I'm sure for you as well, for those of us who are leaders, because we are accountable to God for the spiritual well-being of those people that He has placed, uh, given to us. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, I've got it on the slide, I think, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, if you're a leader, you must give an account, it says. Of course, you know that we can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? All we can do is to tell people God's word and point out the error of their sin, urge them to repent, pray for them, and live model lives that are a positive example of faith and love. So if you're a leader, ask yourself, have I done those things? Have I told them God's word as clearly as they can and make sure that they understand it? And have I warned them about their sin? And have I urged them in every way to live for Christ, to repent and believe? Let Paul be an example for us and listen to what he told the, uh, the leaders of the Ephesian church in Acts when he left them. Okay, this is Acts chapter 20. I've got it up here. Paul is leaving the Ephesian church and he says to them before he leaves, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each one of you night and day with tears. For three years, Paul continually with tears proclaimed Christ publicly, privately, to Jews and to Gentiles, warning them. And he told them the whole will of God, it says here. He taught them the gospel in its fullness. And so he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Because there is nothing more that he could have done. If they refused Christ, it would not be his fault or responsibility. So if you are a leader, remember, you are accountable to God. Keep proclaiming Christ and keep admonishing and teaching in all wisdom. But what if you are not a leader? You say, okay, I can relax here, right? No, you can't relax. If you're, if you're a regular church member, you also have a role to play. Go back to that previous Hebrews. Uh, the next slide. Right. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that will be of no advantage to you. And another two slides from here. Uh, Prior to that, yeah. Before that. 
Yes, this one, okay. First Thessalonians also, I want to read to you. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. So as those who belong to the congregation, your role is to respect and obey and listen to your leaders. Because their words are not just human words, but their words are God's words speaking to you. And you must submit to the authority of God's word spoken through his servants. Because God has given them that authority to watch over your spiritual well-being. When God has appointed people to preach to you and to teach you and when they admonish you about your sins and apply God's word to your lives, then pay careful attention, listen and obey. Now finally from today's passage, we learn that Paul's mission was not easy but it was a real struggle. Okay, So I'm going back to chapter 1 verse 24. Verse 24 says that, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now Paul has to go through suffering and hardship in proclaiming the gospel, and he actually doesn't mind it. Not just that, he, he actually rejoices to have the opportunity to suffer. It's because his whole life and his whole mind are just filled with the priorities of heaven. And in Acts 20, going back to the Acts 20 passage, okay, so next, uh, yeah, here, Paul says these words as well, which I didn't read just now. He says, Now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. See how focused he is, how single-minded he is. He's got such a strong sense of mission that even though there are hardships that he knows are coming to him, he says, I'm, all I care about is finishing the race and completing the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. Now, Paul didn't find it easy. It was a real struggle. But in, back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, okay, this is what he says, verse 29, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Now why, why does he struggle so much? Now, what kinds of things did Paul suffer? Well, he doesn't say here, but we know from a, another a letter that he wrote in 2 Corinthians. Okay, so, basically from this passage, I won't read the whole thing, but Paul was whipped, Paul was beaten with rods and stoned and shipwrecked, and you know, he was having to travel all the time in dangerous country, in danger from bandits, in danger from all kinds of people, in danger from false brothers. And not just that kind of danger, he also had a psychological pressure of the responsibility that he had for all the churches of God. And he often labored, worked really hard, didn't sleep, hungered and thirsted, and went without food, went without clothes. That is the kind of suffering that Paul went through. Now, it was very hard. Paul says in verse 29 though, I struggle with all his energy. 
which so powerfully works in me. So it's not that Paul didn't have to struggle. It's not a let go and let God, you know, I just relax and God will do everything automatically. No. Paul has to work very, very hard and he struggles with the difficulties. But at the same time, it is Christ Jesus who works powerfully in Paul and and gives him the strength to complete his mission. It's Christ Jesus who enables him to run that race. So Paul puts in 100% of his energy and God gives him 100% of his strength. What does that mean for us? Now God may not have called us to suffer as much as Paul, but if your aim is to serve Jesus, then the Bible says you will encounter suffering in one way or another. So in this country, we do not suffer overt persecution for being Christians, but it may be that you will suffer misunderstanding and you will suffer ridicule and uh, disapproval when you try and tell the people the gospel. See, if you just keep your mouth shut, nothing will happen to you. But if you try and tell people the gospel, sometimes you will come across this kind of difficulty. And if you decide to live for Christ and make Him the focal point of your lives, then it will cost you dearly. So, if you insist, say, on sticking to Christian principles and values at work, it could cost you that promotion if your boss is not happy uh, you know, that you refuse to you know, do something dodgy at work. Or if you say homosexuality is wrong, people may reject you as bigots, fanatics. Or if you decide not to live for wealth and success, then you may miss the opportunity to upgrade your HDB flat to a condo or your condo to a landed property. You see, there are things that you can lose out on if you stick to the gospel. Now, recently, I, w- I went to Myanmar for a mission trip to help to teach a course to pastors and uh, seminary students on how to preach from the Bible. And uh, I have friends and family members who were understandably worried about my safety, my health in Myanmar. And that made me worried too. And I, to the extent I was thinking, should I really go for this trip or not? But when I got there, and I look at how the other people you know, uh, served, I was so encouraged to see those uh, people who went with me, like Paul Barker or Neil Watkinson and other people. You see, they weren't focused on themselves. They weren't worried about themselves, but they were working really hard and focusing on the people there. See, they were really identifying with the people they were teaching. They were always concerned whether they are learning, whether they are going to grow, and for the next generation of Christians in Myanmar. That was their concern. So they were willing to risk the danger and the hardship for the sake of others. Now, what about us? And what about me? How much are we willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel of Christ? So will you invest your time? I know Singaporeans are very time poor. Will you, are you willing to invest your time in studying God's word to gain the full riches of understanding? And are you willing to give your effort to build up your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Admonishing them and teaching them in all wisdom. Are you willing to give your money to support the work of the gospel here and abroad? And are you willing to live your life as a witness for Christ wherever He has placed you? See, none of us are adequate for this task. Even Paul himself, in, in the book of Second Corinthians, he cried out, Who is sufficient 
for such a task. That is, how can anyone be adequate to do such a role? See, all of us are inadequate. But as we labor and struggle, let us remember that God gives us the energy to do it. So let us rely fully on God's grace that is sufficient for us. So keep proclaiming Christ and keep serving His people until we all stand before Him one day perfect, faithful, glorious in Christ. Let's ask God now for the strength to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that in the Lord Jesus You have reconciled us to Yourself and You have given us all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And thank you for appointing leaders over us to serve us and to work for our spiritual welfare. Please help them to remain focused on Christ and to teach us and admonish us in all wisdom. And we also pray for ourselves that we may not move away from the gospel of Christ, but continue with him at the center of our lives. So help us to seek Christ and his kingdom and his righteousness and help us Strengthen us to present your word in all its fullness to others and to serve one another in the church so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ on the last day. All this we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.